Good morning. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Penny. These last few weeks, we've spent some time thinking about boldness, sinning boldly, living boldly, and loving boldly. Three weeks ago, we talked about what it means to sin boldly, but to believe and rejoice in Christ even more boldly. We talked about how God's love for us is the wellspring from which God saves the world. That love opens space for us to be brave and make changes and move toward God's future for us in this place. We talked about how a vision for church must emerge from among us as we pray and listen and move in rhythm with the Spirit. Two weeks ago, we talked about the charge that is presented to Timothy to contest the good contest. We discussed what it means to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. We talked about how wondrous a thing it is that we have never not lived in the eternality of God, for Christ brought eternity among us. Last week, we talked about what it means to love boldly. Loving boldly is stirring the gifts of power, love, and self-discipline that God has placed in us. Taken together, sinning boldly, living boldly, and loving boldly can lead us to a bold faith if we are willing. I know I want to have a bold faith, but I am under no illusion that that is the easy choice for myself or for anyone else. In fact, some days it feels impossible for those of us who find that to be true, today's text can serve as both a healing balm and a strengthening elixir. So let us look to it. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 
the entire epistle of 2 Timothy is deeply concerned with the core of Christian truth. The opening admonition of this lection is to remember Jesus Christ. In this way, we ground our understanding of faith in the one who was both raised from the dead and descended from David. From this position, our writer can convey with confidence that even though Paul was chained, the word of God is not. Different traditions understand what the word of God means differently. Here it refers to the gospel message itself. Jesus could not be confined by death, so the good news cannot be confined by Paul's sufferings. Likewise, Paul's sufferings cannot be evidence that he is unfaithful to the message. Rather, they serve as a testament to others that they ought to endure. But of course, endurance is a choice. The text goes on, the saying is sure. If we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What on earth are we to make of these words? First, I think we need to understand that they likely represent a fragment of an early baptismal hymn. The writer reminds Timothy of a song he knows, and there is power in music to buoy us when we feel close to drowning. If you recall last week's sermon, we talked about how Timothy was struggling to remain faithful to his call, despite all the advantages he had, a faithful family, a faithful mentor, a faithful community, and a faithful God. Sharing the words of the hymn served to remind Timothy that the author's words are grounded in something beyond his own theology, something the community knows to be true, and as true as Christ resurrected. The words remind him that perseverance is not optional, but rather a trademark of Christian life and service. Yet the combination of words is curious. Why these attributes of Jesus? Lewis Donaldson opines, the account of Jesus's attributes seems to be selected not to summarize the Jesus narrative, but to address the particular problems in 2 Timothy. The challenge to faithfulness in 2 Timothy emerges from the problem of suffering and the shame that results. In the context of 2 Timothy, it appears that experiences of abuse and shame tempt Timothy and all Christians to lose confidence in the Christian story, to reject the Christian calling, and finally to deny Christ. Thus, the song is directed to Timothy to shore up his weakness, reminding him that if we have died with Christ in baptism, we will live with him. That is, when we have died to our old ways of sin, we will live in the new way of discipleship. If we endure, we will enjoy the fullness of the reign of Christ in both the present and the coming age. To be faithless is to be disconnected from the grand narrative of Christianity, the story that is the basis of our Christian identity. That story makes us who we are. Yet when we are unfaithful, Christ cannot also be faithless, for his very nature is faithfulness. Once again, the writer of 2 Timothy foregrounds fidelity as the basis for the Christian life. Paul endures everything for the sake of the gospel. And this is how we are called to respond as well. Yet though we do not suffer as Paul suffered, we too recognize the ways in which we are tempted to be faithless. We know how we waver in our loyalty. We know how exhausting it can be to pursue holiness. The author concludes, remind them of this and warn them before God that they are to avoid wrangling over words, which does no good, but only ruins those who are listening. 
do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the word of truth. What does this mean for us as a community of faith? Many things, I think, but the call to bold faith is perhaps paramount among them. The text tells us simply, stop arguing over petty things. Explain the word of truth, which is to say the gospel. Break chains, care for widows and orphans, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, be peacemakers and do-gooders, be the church. The text reminds us not to come to faithlessness when things are challenging. Well, things are challenging. Last week, I came across an article that really hit me between the eyes. It was written by the Reverend Lord Robinson about the third year, and I'd like to read a fragment of it to you. She writes, the three-year slump, or is it a a readjustment, a disgruntlement? It's a three-year something. I was attending a virtual summit put on by the United Church of Christ last week, which is to say two weeks ago, and heard something I hadn't heard before, perhaps known deep in my bones, but not heard spoken aloud or fully acknowledged. The third year is the hardest. It's the hardest year of ministry, of a relationship, of a pandemic. It's the time when all the pulling together and getting along in order to get through starts to unravel. It's when the visions we thought we all agreed upon start to crack and fray along the edges. When the exhaustion and frustration start to overwhelm the hope and goodwill. The third year is a hard time to be in community. A hard time to keep showing up. A hard time to do much more than beyond gripe at everyone who is making things harder than they need to be. A little over three years ago, I was called to pastor this church, and I have endeavored to do so faithfully. Yet nine months into that call, still fresh and full of dreams, we entered into a pandemic which has since had no end. At my count, 17 of our members have moved away more or less permanently in that time. We are working to figure out what the financial and ministerial futures of this congregation look like. We have come to the hard part, and I know many of us can identify with the weariness of this third year. But year three is not merely exhausting. It can become, if we choose to endure, a place of depth and transformation. Robinson goes on. But what if it's also a time of rich discernment? What if it's the time we finally get honest? real about our feelings, brave enough to begin naming the fears that lie below our complaints? What if three years is the time when we stop hiding behind politeness and really start living in community? What if it's the time we start letting ourselves actually change and be changed by those we're in communion with? What if three years is the time we have to dive into our wells of faith and trust that the God of new life might be bringing us somewhere new and good What if three years is the time when things really start to get juicy? This is the vision I hold on to when things get challenging. We are called to this. We are called to this kind of hard. We are called to this kind of faith. We are called to this kind of community. A spiritual family is, above most other things, God's gift to us. We are God's gift and grace to one another. Bold faith, then, is moving in concert with God's will for this place. Bold faith is believing in the best for and with and in one another. Bold faith is being willing to risk getting involved and helping to shape the ministry of this church. 
So my friends, sin boldly, live boldly, love boldly. And in so doing, we may share a bold faith that shapes our world. Amen.